talking about the things that make your home service business go. Marketing, finance, systems, people. This is the Fight Club for Business podcast. Hey there, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Is it Fight Club already? Again, let's do this thing. <laughs> hey, already. And we got six heads on the screen today. This is exciting. We get to welcome in Amanda to the team every Tuesday. Super excited to have her with us. So we'll kind of let her do her intro like we normally do, but just wanted to give her a nice warm welcome to the show. And you will be getting to see her a little bit more often. And Amanda is from Power Selling Pros. So super excited to have you with us, Amanda. But welcome back to Fight Club for Business, the show for home service business owners looking to improve their marketing, finances, systems, and culture. We're a team of self-employed industry experts, and we get to be joined by a past guest this week, Jonathan Witzman. Thank you so much for joining us, Jonathan. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me again. Yay. Absolutely. Jump in. I got to see three out of the five ladies just a couple of weeks ago in New Orleans, so that was great. And Amanda, you got great reviews, as did Megan and Martha, so... As did yourself. <laughs> there, he's being humble here. Hit, you are all in for a treat today. Martin knows how to throw a party. I think I just recovered this last week. <laughs> I am still recovering, Jonathan. So. Uh, so, so fun. If you haven't went to a QDS user conference, you've got to sign up and go. Seriously, Victoria, <laughs> Victoria, Canada next year. Victoria, that's gonna that's be a one fun of my one. favorite cities. That's another. Oh story. my gosh, I love it. Uh, so just more incentive yeah oh well back to the show (laughs) we could go on we could but Jonathan those who may have not caught your show before with us uh do you mind just giving our listeners a brief rundown of yourself and your business yeah I am currently serving as the CEO of Perception Predict it is a data analytics company that organizations use to uh, hire individuals uh, particularly Uh, looking to be able to predict how well is somebody going to do in my company for whatever role that I'm hiring them for, whether that's a sales role, a customer success role. And we've been building those models for large organizations. So pre-hire, somebody takes an assessment. We say they're going to solve 200K a quarter or they're going to have a certain quality score. And uh, that was actually how I met Martha with QDS and she's in uh, to predicting quality. But I wrote the book, The Sales Boss. And uh, if primarily in working with organizations on building out the sales function and realizing that the ability to pick correctly the right people for the right role is critical, not only in sales, but in every aspect of a company. So really have specialized in that. Awesome. I'm excited to talk to you about a few things, maybe about some marketing hires. So I think that's something a lot of people have questions about quite often. Um, But thank you for joining us again. And thank you for hopping on last minute with us. We really appreciate it. Um, those new listeners to the show or returning listeners, my name is Taylor Maroney. I co-own a power washing company and paper selling company in South Florida with my husband. And my background is in marketing. So that's where I like to help business owners really look at the data behind the marketing and know how to make better decisions based upon that. So read, analyze that, and then move forward with their marketing plan in a positive format. So super excited to have you with us, Jonathan. Excited to have you on the show, Amanda. And welcome back to Pike Club, everyone. Yes. And I'm Amanda Powell. I 
am here to stay. I like weaseled my way into the cool club somehow. I'm hoping they don't catch on that I'm really a nerd, but I'm trying to I'm trying to stay with the cool kids. So uh, I am the director of training for a company called Power Selling Pros. And my goal, is, what I train on is to help people book more calls, win more moments with their clients. So that is my background. Oh, we're so excited that you're here. I feel like in the group, uh, Drew Larison, Amanda, in the group, people have been like, Has, does anybody have Amanda's recording? Is it what would Amanda do in this situation? It's like WWAD is how it's turning out. You made quite the impression in New Orleans. Um, my name is Megan Likes. I'm the founder of Bookkeeping Academy Online. My passion is educating and empowering small businesses to know their numbers so that they can live more financially rewarding lives. I also have a full service accounting firm called Likes Accounting Company, where we're currently hiring a salesperson, Jonathan. So I forgot that I was sitting on this like treasure trove and I need to read this before first rounds of interviews on Friday. Um, so add that to my list. Um, and let's see, I've got Jeff Likes Clean Windows and Gutters, which I'm very excited to hopefully be talking about Perception Predict and the role it's going to play in that company in the very near future. And I've got a bunch of other things, but I'm excited to be back <laughs> My friends, Amanda, welcome. And Jonathan, I, I, Megan, I just have to ask you a question. When you, yeah. when you and Jeff got together, did the fact that his last name would work so well for naming businesses have anything to do with the attraction? No, no, it didn't. But no, that's a marketing gold mine right there. Right, hey, right, right. We didn't know we were going to have eight companies. No, the fun story though, like when I asked Jeff, how do you want to name your company? He said, Jeff likes clean windows immediately. Like no pause, just that. And I, I looked on GoDaddy, it was free. And I was like, well, I guess we're done. I guess that was the easiest naming decision of all time. Like, okay, moving on next. And it's Pick an industry, Megan yep. likes money. Mm -hmm. That's true. It's true. Yeah. Love it. Hey there, Jonathan. I'm Michelle. But first of all, before I say hi to you, welcome, Amanda. I am so excited you're here. I am thrilled. I cannot believe that you're here. And we're thrilled that you're going to be here every single week. Um, I am Michelle yeah, Myers, Jonathan. We what? Can record it. Every week we get to record these little Amanda. I know. Amanda-isms. I'm, I'm thrilled. Uh, Jonathan, I am the co-owner of Pink Collars and we do remote admin services. So if you need somebody to answer the phones and do all of that, crazy stuff in your CRM. I can help you in that way. I'm also the proud co-owner of a Wise Coatings location in Northern Virginia with my husband. And then I help teach admins with these wacky ladies on the screen. And we are thrilled to do um, a new event in August. So I'm happy about that. That is Admin Bootcamp Adventure. I can't wait to talk to you about sales because I am in the middle of a sales process myself at Pink Collars. So I'm super excited that you're here. Welcome to Fight Club. Thank you. And lastly, I'm Martha Woodward. And yes, I'm still in my glasses for 11 more weeks. And I am um, not loving it. But anyway, I'm co-founder of Quality Driven Software. And I help people build happier workplaces. And like I say, just half functioning right now, but bear with me. I don't, half functioning. What is that? How are we half functioning? My glasses. I can't. Oh. <laughs> you survived a week, Martha. You can do this. You didn't die. You can do it. You're fine. fine. And, and half, to be fair, half functioning for Martha is like 200% for anyone wow. else. Exactly. Story. No, we're good. Very true. Let, well, let, I... let the normal people catch up, Martha. <laughs>
<laughs> well, awesome. So I'm going to steal you first for this first round of uh, five bouts ever on Fight Club. So super excited for that. But um, Jonathan, I do want to talk to you about the prediction side of hiring, because I know this is like slightly, I feel like we're all going to slightly touch on Martha's toast today. So I love you, Martha. But um, a lot of people have questions when it does come to hiring someone in a marketing role specifically. That's something where people I feel just have no real clue how to even start to go about that. Normally, business owners kind of have an idea of sales or what they're looking for in a salesperson. And they kind of have an idea of what they definitely have an idea of what they're looking for in a technician. Um, but when it comes to marketing, it's kind of like this big unknown for people that they don't really know the insides, how to measure things, how to look at it, you know, analytically at data. So when it comes to that type of position specifically, what are some things that you guys kind of look for when predicting a good marketing hire? Ah, uh, so this, I'm going to disappoint you and tell you <laughs> nobody knows. And uh, it, it goes back to something I like to say, which is uh, people are messy, right? And the hardest part of business, my grandfather used to say business would be easy if it wasn't for the people, Ooh. right? And uh, the good news is that even though people are unique, they're predictably unique. And what we tend to do when we're hiring someone is we tend to trust our gut. Our gut has usually served us pretty well through life, but the challenge is that it causes us to overlook what really makes somebody uniquely talented and gifted. And so what we've discovered at Perception Predict is there's really over 500 psychological attributes that science has says we can reliably measure with a testing instrument. And so why wouldn't we use those in helping us to find the truth about the person that's sitting across from us. What is it that fires them up? What are they, uh, you know, hardwired to be good at? I tend to think of it like musicians. You can go into a, a group full of young kids, really hard to tell which one's going to be, you know, the world-class musician versus the one that's sort of a hobbyist or showing up at karaoke night, right? And everybody, but, but, but if you get enough data about people, you can start predicting those things. So I, I, that's probably disappointing, you know, that there's no quick and easy way, but what no. we do perception is we take those 500 traits and we measure a lot of people doing the same sort of job. So a cleaning technician is an example we just did for Martha. We did hundreds of cleaning technicians and they answered questions around those 450 traits. And then we measured their actual performance. What was their cleaning efficiency? How long did they stay at the job? What were their customer satisfaction scores? And on the back end, you start getting regression analysis that says, hey, these are really the only 10 things that matter. And if you get these 10 things right in a person, then they tend to do well in the job, they stick and stay. Awesome. So when you're thinking about hiring and marketing outside of, you know, your actual skills question, I think it gets down to what's what's sort of the hardwiring underneath that makes somebody passionate about that and uniquely gifted at it. That's a very valid point because it's it's sometimes it's not I've noticed in my short time on this planet that it's not necessarily about the skills sometimes. It's really about the passion and the drive of the individual. And they can always learn certain skills through, you know, throughout their experience and their job experience on, you know, throughout life. And that's where it is more about those other aspects when we're looking at a marketing person, that it's not always 
I feel like always fully tangible. You have to really be able to, um, they have to know the, the world and the ever changing world of online marketing. That's something that is constantly evolving and evolving on a daily basis, if we're going to be honest. So having that knowledge and passion to want to evolve with the industry, I think is something that's very important for having a marketing person in your business. Someone that may be stuck in, you know, a certain time period of marketing or not necessarily wanting to evolve with the times could potentially do more harm than good. I say could because you never know. It can always change. But as far as... So if I gave you a quick rule of thumb, and this would apply outside of marketing, uh, hiring somebody. Let's hear it. When I can't give somebody, a, a, you know, a test that tells me what their DNA is, I usually <laughs> ask my, that myself, uh, how much of a happy discontent are they? And what I mean by that is I want somebody that's like genuinely very happy in life, right? You, and you can tell that energy where people, you know, are, are happy. But I also want to be able to tell that they're discontent. Like there's some sort of thing that gnaws at them that makes them want to get better. So I take half, I put them on a happy discontent scale. Like I want them happy. I don't want them to complain, but I, I want them to sort of be discontent. I want something greater. And then on the other side, I take curiosity. So if somebody has massive curiosity, you can put them in almost any job. They could have not done marketing and they're going to be curious enough to learn. Right. And that discontent's going to always make them think, well, I could be better. Right. Than I am today. I love that. And that's, that's my shorthand for people. I think that's perfect. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very true. You want that, you want that little bit of curiosity and the ever wanting need to do better for yourself and better for the business you're working for and for life. And marketing is just one of those, it's one of those weird ones where it's, you know, it's, it's tough sometimes to find a person that can come into the company and work in a said role. Um, and I, but I think too, identifying exactly what you need that person for is maybe another area that helps with bringing that person in. If they are just coming in to help with social media, maybe just really sticking to that, that specific lane for that, that hire, or if they are looking to kind of manage all of your marketing across multiple platforms, knowing exactly what they're coming in for is super important as well. But I have to get used to my new time schedule here. So I'm, I'm pretty much running out of my time limit, but Lastly, I'll just ask you real quick, Jonathan, in, in marketing towards an employee, what is something that you you highly recommend? What would be like one tip if you're marketing outward to a new employee? What's something that is a definite always for you? I think you always have to be authentic. So you should your company brand should be reflected authentically. The worst thing is, right, you, 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 you put something out on social media or your marketing to attract somebody to your business and then they come in and it's different. So if you, if your brand wouldn't naturally attract somebody, that's your problem. You should be work. You should be working on that. We should be working on the marketing to build that brand, to make sure that we are attracting authentically the right people towards the business. So that, and, and, that tied and, it up perfectly. But I think not, not, not to be stuck on what that is. If we're authentic, people will do well. So we've, we've analyzed thousands and thousands of employees. And honestly, some companies that we've worked with is what I would think of as a dysfunctional company. Mm -hmm. They're the way they manage their people, the way they operate. And yet inside that dysfunctional environment, there are a lot of people doing really well. They operate well in an environment I would find dysfunctional. So if they, 
you know, if they market who they are, they're going to attract those sort of people that are driven by that sort of culture. Whereas myself, I would sort of self-select out of that. So there's, it, it, it's almost like the dating world. Just be yourself. There's someone for everyone. It might not, <laughs> be, it might not be appealing to all of us. That's so true. Well, I appreciate your time with me this morning, Jonathan, and I'm going to go ahead and pass you off to Amanda so you guys can talk a little bit of sales. Yay! All right. Well, Amanda, I'm... how do we make this first time very memorable? <laughs> I hope it's memorable for a good I'll reason. Break That's you in run, the run vibes I'm sending out right now, memorable for good reasons. Are yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fall on my face here. But... I'm super excited um, and I got the chance to hear you speak and I was just so blown away by what even exists out there and, and what you do. So I think a big part of sales is you're always solving a problem for someone with, with sales, right? There's a problem you're solving. So what have you found you've really been able to help businesses with? Like what, what has been their aha moment or big takeaway of what your product is helping them with? I, it, it, particularly with perception predict, I think that the aha moment is to realize uh, how much of what our gut tells us about someone can be wrong. Mm -hmm. And for people to realize that they have really focused the entirety of the success of their business on 10 minutes sitting across from somebody going, I really kind of like this person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, I think that's the aha moment. The things that we think are important aren't always important. So as an example, we did a big uh, project for Samsung Retail Store Associates. So think walking in, getting a cell phone, other technology. And they had a huge turnover problem in that business. And they had developed a really effective hiring or a, 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 a well-structured hiring process. And they were looking at customer orientation. So how well does this person do in interacting with our customers? And how much do they love technology? And we surveyed thousands of retail store executives, and we actually discovered that it didn't make a difference how well they were oriented towards the customer. doesn't mean it wasn't nice to have somebody that treated your customer right. It just means it didn't predict success in that role at all. And secondly, the more they self-professed a love of technology, the worse they did in selling technology. And so there's a thing that's sort of counterintuitive, right? And when we did this for... Uh, home cleaners, one of the findings we found is that the more sincere a house cleaner is, the worse they do in the role, which is sort of counterintuitive, right? If you're in a, if you're sitting in an interview, you're like, oh, they're really sincere. I love that. But that actually could be a fault in the home cleaning world. That's crazy. So do you, What's kind of that journey for, and I hope I'm not, we're going to step on Martha today. Sorry, Martha. But what's that journey for that, that business owner? Because I feel like you can tell me that and be like, no, 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 no. Let me, <laughs> let me prove that. So like, what's that journey to self-discovery where they go, oh yeah, you might be onto something, Jonathan. Maybe I, maybe you're onto something there. I think it's almost like every other point in business is that sometimes experience is your best teacher. Mm -hmm. And business owners have to get used to looking at data and letting data drive their decisions. And it doesn't mean that you always have to follow the data, right? We still want our own creativity. Sometimes we want to break the rules. It's Megan might be mad at me if I say that. You can ignore your accountant, right? There's guidelines there. But sometimes um, the data is going to suggest that you do something that's maybe counterintuitive. And so learning that 
you should always be balancing this creativity, judgment, gut feel with what is the data actually telling me and be willing to be wrong. I feel in like in sales, particularly when you're trying to hire a salesperson, you'll tend to have your favorites and you may hire two people and their performance is the same. Maybe they're both having substandard performance. And one of them, you'll sort of let off the hook. You'll say, well, they just need, you know, a few more times around with the script or they need additional training. And the other person you've written off is having a bad attitude or whatever it is. The data might suggest something completely different. And so you always have to be willing to sort of pull up the label that you're giving somebody and saying, why am I doing this? Most of the time it has to do with personality, which has almost nothing to do with performance. That's so good. So is there a favorite question you like to use that kind of helps you discover some of these traits? Um, I, I, you I, go I, up to someone and go, are you curious? Like what, what works for you with that? Yeah, I, I don't really have a, a favorite question that I use inside of a interview process. And I actually uh, resist giving someone that because it becomes their crutch. Right. And then they say, if, if they nail this question, they're going to do really well. And that's really an oversimplification of who a human is. So I think in the interview process, it, 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 one, if there are tools out there that will give you unbiased data, get that data. And statistics say about 80% of somebody's performance comes from innate skills and, and attributes that they have. And the other 20% comes from experience and actual job skills, the ability to put those tools to use. That's so cool. So very good. So if you had, you touched on that a little bit, like biggest sales takeaway when hiring for sales. Tell me if I'm on point with what you said. It's sometimes their knowledge isn't a good skills, a good indicator of they're going to be good at selling it. So what is that good indicator? You mentioned curiosity. Is there anything else? Uh, I'm not sure I followed your question. Uh, I rambled a little bit there, so you're good. But is there another trait that works really well for sales? You mentioned curiosity. Is there another one? Yeah, I think the, the, really well? the, the best attribute that I look for in somebody that's selling outside of curiosity is the ability to challenge their own beliefs. So I'm really looking for someone that will ask a follow-up question to be sure they understand and where they they recognize that, that that they don't have the need to be right like to be okay in the journey you you sit down with somebody that it it's clear they're trying to sell you right and that's why they're there i hate sitting down with somebody who says well i'm not trying to sell you anything but right you, you want them to be authentic and part of being them being authentic is just that ability to be unattached to the outcome and 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 ask great follow-up questions because as soon as i understand that this is the problem the business owner is trying to solve and more important uh we're solving the same problem all the time what's most important is for me to discover how does that business owner think about their problem what are the words they use to describe it because then if if i can mirror that language all of a sudden they go oh, okay this person understands me they get me People have that desire to feel like their business is unique. And if you if you're if you've been a pro in any area of business, you find out businesses have the same problems, right? There's sell, sales problem is the same. A lot of times their accounting problem is the same, but they want to feel unique. So you have to find out how do they describe themselves? 
I hope everyone had a pen and paper because that whole thing was gold. So in other aspects of life, if you were to, you know, meet somebody, how do they describe themselves? If they describe themselves as a great father or maybe, you know, a great supporter of their community, what is, what do they pride themselves on? That's sort of the picture of how they see themselves. If I, if I want to influence that person, I, I need to start from that frame. This will help you be a better father because I may not be that overt about it. Right. But right. I, I'm going to start using a language that speaks to that passion. Oh, that's so good. So I'm going to end on that high note there because I couldn't say any better or add anything more to that. So I'm going to pass it over to Megan here. And Jonathan, it's a pleasure to see you again. Yes. Yeah, good to see you as well. Either of you notice or do it consciously that you both asked follow-up questions during that segment? <laughs> both of you at least once said, I'm not sure I understand, or I didn't quite follow, or can you, what I heard you say was, is that what you meant? So uh, the two natural salespeople on this call, I just, yeah. I was like, is this a joke? Are they doing that? No, funny. I'm turning red. You both naturally do that, which I love. Jonathan, I'm really sad because I still don't have a signature in this book. So I absolutely have to remember to pack it the next time I see you. Um, I'm plotting a trip to Phoenix soon. So uh, how did we how did we not manage that? I'll, I can sign one and we'll send it to you. And, you <laughs> and then I'll bring you. Yeah, we'll just yeah. do it that way. Um, OK, so when we talk about money and we talk about sales and we talk about recruiting, um, I have like three things I want to talk about. Um, the first one is we I've got to brag on you. So you you've been doing the perception predict model within the cleaning service for just a couple of short months. You have a couple of cleaning companies that are currently using it. One of them is Dom Williams's cleaning company. So Dom is a current perception predict user. He came back from new Orleans and he hired six people last week, six nice. people last week, those six people, he spent less than 10 minutes interviewing because he was letting the data drive the decisions. I almost interrupted you during Amanda's segment because I was like, do you know what kind of ask this is? You're telling people who are like very risk tolerant, who are entrepreneurs who have run their entire lives on their gut that they need to take a deep breath and look at the data. Like, I'm worried for you a little bit from a sales perspective. Like, are they going to listen to you? Have you had that kind of pushback? Like people saying, ah, I don't yeah, know. We, my gut got me here, right? Like my I have a great example of that in the in the uh, enter, enterprise space. So large enterprise sales, there was an organization where someone had applied and they they took the assessment, and the assessment came back like a ten out of a hundred. So really low, like lower than I'm almost ever ever seen. But the executive team had completely fallen in love with this woman, and called us and said, "Your system must be broken." We're going to hire this person anyway. And of course, our feedback is you should hire this person, right? Like you would, I would never be suggesting somebody should only make a decision based on, uh, on what the data is saying. They have to balance that. But sure enough, within 90 days, they had to let her go. And that was after the entire executive team had fallen in love with her. Now, some would hear that and they would say, well, that's unfair to that woman to have judged her uh, based upon that uh, assessment. However, it wasn't that she wasn't highly skilled in her job. She had done that job for other organizations, knocked it out of the park. What the, what the data picked up on is that her operating environment wasn't a match for the operating environment they would give her. And there would be a mismatch. 
It's almost like if you think about going into a garden nursery and you see this beautiful plant in a pot and you say, well, I'm going to take that and I'm going to stick it on my front porch in this really tiny pot in direct sunlight. And all of a sudden you wonder why it wilts. It isn't the plant's fault. And that's sort of what we're getting at with data. It's not just, is this person skilled? Should they have the job? It's saying, are they going to be happy in that environment? Are they going to naturally thrive? Is their curiosity going to be nurtured in that environment? And, and, and the only way you get to that is with enough data about someone. Yeah. So I would argue would have been much more fair to her to have that conversation up front to say the data is suggesting you're not going to be happy in our environment. You're talented enough. You could get a job anywhere. She may have said no to her second choice job and now it's no longer available. Yeah, so I love that. So just to like uh, clarify briefly what Perception Predict has done or my understanding of what it's done and what I'm excited to see it do is we're adding in assessment tools to the recruiting process or to the onboarding process to help find good fits for good positions. And, and what I see happening then is we're going to reduce our turnover rate. Because we all know that we've gotten to the point where we've made a bad hire and and maybe they've come in and maybe maybe they were a bad culture fit, right? Maybe it wasn't. I absolutely have done that where I hired a skilled window cleaner. We don't hire skilled window cleaners anymore. Like I hired a skilled window cleaner. He was a good window cleaner. He was a fast window cleaner, but he was super toxic for my culture. Blew it up. I think I lost all my staff. I mean, it was really, really bad. So trying to figure out how can we reduce turnover rates in positions in our companies by making good hires the first time by using assessments. Um, and so you you have a metric for this already in the maid service model and that's flight risk. Do you wanna talk a little bit about flight risk and that kind of addresses this, this 90 day period? Yeah, so with enough data, we're able to be able to predict how long is somebody likely to stick with an organization and what's gonna cause- Before, before ever meeting them, before hiring wow. them, Jonathan can predict within a very small margin of error, how long somebody is likely to stay with you, right? Yes, so if you'll recall at my talk at the QDS conference, one of our pilot uh, cleaning companies that participated has been using the flight risk model now for about a month. And with her existing team, we had identified five people that were at risk of churning out of the organization. So these were people that were already employed. And of course, you can imagine as a business owner, you wonder, hey, can I trust this new data? Well, she shared that she went out on Indeed and found that those people were all actively looking for jobs. Two of them, she was what? able to save through having a conversation with them about what they were unhappy about. And the other three churned out of the organization as predicted. Wow. That's powerful data to have is not just, you know, will they be able to perform in your organization, but how long are they likely to stay? Well, uh, and this idea that if you can do that in advance, we can reduce turnover rate. We can lower turnover rate because I think as business owners, we discount how expensive it is to turn over a position. So we think about like hard costs of having a new employee, right? So that's the costs of um, running the Indeed ads and doing the drug screening and getting the new uniforms and printing the manuals. And, you know, there's also the hard cost of the time to interview, the time to sort through applicants, right? There's, there's these hard costs associated with just that, that hire, but then the actual production loss is usually, what do we say? We say three months salary is usually a turnover cost rate. So if you think about it, for every person you churn, and we, when we met Martha Woodward, we had a turnover rate of 300% in our company. 
like 300%. We were churning and burning through people. Um, now we're, we're very happy to be down in the 60s. So we're in about the 60% rate of turnover. Um, but with Perception Predict, the idea is once you get your culture dialed in, now let's go out, attract and recruit people that are going to be a good fit. So I love that. I want to shift gears briefly uh, and talk about the power of having the right person in a sales seat or the power of having somebody who is a top producer in our company. So um, for me as an accountant who's a nerd, uh, my top two mm -hmm. indicators are average ticket and conversion rate. Can you talk a little bit about what your models have seen in terms of predictability of like how productive that person's going to be on the team? Yes, I'm unclear of the nature of the question. So let me, ask, let me ask a follow up to that. Are you, are you meaning how important is the metric of average ticket size and conversion or the difference between a, a, a mid performer and a top performer? That one. Let's go yeah. there. So most people don't realize that a top performer is somewhere around 30 to 40 percent higher than an average producer, not even a, a, a low producer. And that's so if you just think about the, I call it the comfortable middle in an organization, you, you know, they're, they're good enough that you want them on the team, but they're not like your top performer. Does that make sense? The goal is to, to try to see, can we get the, can we get that superstar culture all the way across, uh, all the way across the organization? And, and this is somebody that, you know, naturally has a high conversion rate, or this is somebody who naturally cleans fast and with high quality. When we're talking top performers, we're talking about the metrics important for that position. Can we can we attract and recruit people who are predisposed or who are naturally going to be performing at a higher level than what we would call our B players on our team? And yeah. and Perception Predict has done that. And that's where and that's where the world of psychology is really exciting. There's been more progress, I would say, in the last 15 years than the 100 years prior to that. The challenge is in the world of assessments, most assessment organizations focus on two things. One is uh, a scale of introversion and extroversion. So how introverted is somebody, how extroverted? And you can see that with like DISC assessments or Myers-Briggs. It's really some combination, right, of how outgoing they are or how introverted they are? Do they prefer data over people? The problem is the data suggests that somebody's introversion or extroversion has nothing to do with can they do the job, right? Think about sales. You would naturally say, well, somebody that's extroverted is going to do mm -hmm. better sales. But we know, broadly speaking, that's probably true. But there's this whole subset of, of introverted people who, when they exceed in sales, blow the best performers, the best extroverts out of the water. And that's what we're trying to do is, is to look with precision. So most assessments, it's introversion, extroversion, and then some, something they usually call uh, uh, cognitive intelligence. So you could think of it as IQ. It's not, but that's a good shorthand for it. But those three things actually are, it, 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 if you only had three ingredients, you would be limited in the amount of meals right, that you could cook. And so what we want to do is say, let's look at everything that science says we can predictably measure. Let's measure those things and then let the data tell us which of them are actually important, because I would probably pick the wrong ones. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I think that's a perfect pass off to systems. We're going to wrap up that finance section just to say, if you could top grade your team, 
to have, you know, top producers, high performers, higher conversion rates, you can absolutely increase not only the revenue in your company, but the profitability of your company. So that's what we're trying to do. And we're going to reduce costs because we're not going to have that churn and burn of turnover. If you had somebody that was, that was, that you hired and they were coming along slowly, let's say they weren't adapting the skills or adopting your systems as quickly, would you be willing to wait it out and invest more time in training and development if the data suggested that once they got it, they would be in your top 1%? Absolutely. It can allow you to be patient and, and continue to pay that person and work with that person week after week. Love it. All right, Michelle, you're up. I'm ready. I'm ready. Hey, Jonathan. Um, I have an interesting question because you serve so many different industries and we're seeing a lot of folks working as gig, the gig economy, right? Sort of part-time or fractional. Um, How would you test someone that might be a fractional resource versus somebody that's hired in-house. Do you see a difference in a person like that? Like if you need a salesperson, and I'm using my example, my company as an example, um, is it a better fit to test them and will they be different as a fractional individual or are they better as an in-house, you know, hire as a, you know, a regular employee? Have you seen anything else in the market? That is a great question. And I would say it would make a great science experiment. Let's test that uh, and see whether that's the case. I would imagine that it does make a difference. So as an example, in the cleaning technician, when we look at flight risk and how are we uh, projecting somebody's flight risk, what would you guess indicates flight risk for a cleaning technician? Other work, other jobs? Yeah, Yeah, it's actually all of those things related to entrepreneurial spirit. Really? Look how easy it is. I get in, I learn the business, I see you're making great money. I'm like, it couldn't be that hard to do it myself. Let me go out and start my own cleaning business. Ooh, interesting. I have, a, I have a certain amount of risk tolerance. So we're measuring risk tolerance and entrepreneurial mindset. Does that, hmm. does that make sense? I would imagine that in the gig economy, there's people that value freedom over structure. They probably have an entrepreneurial spirit. So the question would be, Let's look at those 400 psychographics and figure out which unique combination causes somebody to seek out a uh, gig sort of work. I, I wouldn't know the answer to that for, you, for, uh, for your particular industry, and it's not a project that we've done, but I love the, the thought behind that. And, and then to, again, coming closer to my company again, call center and people in customer support. Um, you say on your website, it's a turnover really in that role. A lot of people turn over um, and we serve admins, like I said, in the boot camp. And so we see a lot of these folks that have a ton of information um, for that business owner that they're responsible for. What are you looking for in terms of a call center person or an admin or somebody in that supportive role? What are some of the markers that you're seeing that make them a really great fit? And then some of those things that might be you know, flight risk for that role. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll begin with every every role, every industry is slightly different. Sure. So that's the uniqueness of it, right? There's a, there's a fingerprint for that. It tends to be people that are in those service roles. We, I mentioned early, earlier this idea of sincerity. Mm-hmm. Is it, actually, if I'm too sincere, I actually do poor in the role. Mm-hmm. I have to be able to sort of subjugate the way I feel about the person that's making this request and uh-huh. still stay pleasant, still stay helpful, still mirror 
sort of their needs. Whereas if I'm overly sincere, I might be too blunt. We've also, uh, an, another interesting one that has come up is uh, this concept of gen gentleness. How mm -hmm. do I deal with people from a gentleness standpoint? And um, we've actually found fairly consistently that if somebody has too much gentleness, mm -hmm. they tend to do poor in those customer service and customer oriented role. You actually need somebody um, that is more tough minded, mm -hmm. sort of, to me, it seems counterintuitive. Um, the fact that the reason for that is somebody that is tough-minded tends to judge themselves toughly and hold themselves to a standard, mm -hmm. and, and they hold themselves responsible for delivering a standard. But here's the caveat I always say to that. When you're looking at all of these psychographics or attributes about a person, it can be interesting to ask yourself, why is this true? And the answer to that actually doesn't matter. The more important thing is that it is true. So it doesn't matter that somebody that's less sincere tends to do better in a cleaning role. It's just the fact that it does. Interesting. Okay. And then back to sales. One more question. Back yeah. to a salesperson. Do you have any recommendations for our listeners? They get somebody in the role, they get them trained, they get them supported. Is there any sort of professional development out there that you're seeing that you're really liking that you're like, man, I want to put my people through this, or I really like this book. I mean, obviously. Power selling pros. To be clear, my book is not about uh, the actual sales process. It's about exactly. how do I build the team, how do I put the structure in place and the leadership around it. But in terms of sales development, mm -hmm. the, the, the program that I tend to rely on most is uh, the Sandler sales process. Hmm. Um, and it's sort of, uh, it, depending on who you go to, can be sort of old school and a little bit of a turnoff hmm. uh, it, because it's a franchise system. And so yeah. your mileage may vary. But if you went out <laughs> on the internet and you said, let me look at the Sandler sales process and you didn't take everything literally, uh, to me, I would say that's what's shaped my view of sales the most. And the reason is they focus very much on the psychology behind what causes things to happen in the sales process. And they also focus on this term called head trash. Hmm. All of the sort of silent things your, your mind says to you, right? So if somebody, as an example, um, believes that something is a lot of money, like they say, well, I would never spend $3,000 on a television. I don't know. Yeah. Just the number. Well, everyone has sort of a set in their mind what expensive is or how do I value something? And if a salesperson isn't highly aware of their own head trash, they sell out of their own pocket. So those are the people, if you ever have a waitress uh, serve you at a restaurant and says, well, that's really expensive. I would order this or that. Yeah. Or are you sure that's a dollar upcharge? <laughs> they're, they're, they're like, their way of serving you is to save you money. Yeah. That's their value system. So I would say the Sandler sales process is really good right. at helping people understand that. And they also have a co concept, which I'm sure Power Selling Pros also does. I'm just not as familiar around, around a cookbook. Mm. Right? What is my recipe for success? Mm. And, and that is going to be different for every person. But a, a very talented salesperson will always know their number. They, they know how many leads they convert. They know what their average time to close is. They know when they're getting in trouble. Yeah. Awesome. So that was beautiful. I would definitely pay for Sandler. It, last I looked, it was like 12 grand a year to put somebody wow. in, but it's, it's weekly tr group training with them and a lot of one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one coaching. Uh, and people that have come through that uh, program, uh, 
tend to do really well. Hmm. Great. Awesome. I'm going to pass you off to Martha. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It's great. Yeah. And so, I, don't get, I don't get any commission from Sandler either. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, well, like I said at the QDS conference, I, I remember when we met, and I think we both did that out of just obligation to Megan. And uh, we can now say You're Megan welcome. is kind of our perception predict for people who uh, are a good fit. As far as go be friends. Yeah. How many times do you say that? Go be friends. Go, yeah, go, go. Yeah, master yeah. 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 Remember um, when you do good things. That's what I say. You know, I, when we talked, I just remember being on the other end of that Zoom call and kind of getting chills thinking, oh my gosh, this was the missing piece for me. Because, um, at some point, I just recognized that I, I didn't have the magic recipe for figuring out who's a good fit for the company. Um, and, you know, I, I had learned that it wasn't whether I liked them or not, that that would burn me. I knew that. And I had questions. I had scores. But I still, we still had people get through. So my, my prediction actually occurred in training, which is too late, but it's better than three months down the road. And we, I did things in training to flush that out. Like I, I did setups, you know, to see if we could flush out a bad attitude, et cetera, et cetera. But when we talked, I was like, oh, wow, that, that would be so great. And, you know, because I couldn't flush it out, I depended on the post data a lot because in QDS that first month when they got out of training, I would watch those scores from a hundred miles away. And I would know really within two weeks, whether after training, whether they were going to make it or not based on the scores. And when we met, I was like, ah, like Megan said, save so much time and money if we can predict it over there. So I guess that's not really a question. It's just. Well, but, but, but you point out something that's interesting is if you look long and hard enough and thoughtfully enough, there's always a pattern might mm -hmm. be harder to spot. And so you're, getting that pattern later in the hiring process, post-hire, but in training. Mm -hmm. And what we should be thinking of as business owners is how can we spot that pattern at the earliest point possible? So even with our perception uh, models, there's, it's, not a, it's not a game of perfect, right? There's some people that'll go get through that, that filter that maybe shouldn't have been in there. But the, the game is how do we place our bets successfully earlier in the process? I would imagine it's the same thing, Megan, when you're having somebody set up their books, the earlier they do that correctly at the beginning of their business, right? The, the, the less time they have to go wrong. And it's the same thing with your people processes. How do you institute it early on? In my book, um, I do outline an entire hiring process, uh, both uh, from the standpoint of each email that you're sending, uh, what are, you, what are you communicating with the candidate in that email? With If they come into your office, the way that your office is set up, 
every interaction with a candidate, I think of as a stage play put on by a psychologist, right? So you're welcoming them onto your stage and you get to decide what that stage looks like and what music is playing. And, and, and the question is always, what do I want them to think, feel, and do as a result of this stage that I put on for them? And so if you're a great director in plays, you're asking, what do I, what's the emotional journey I want the audience to go in? It's, it's the same thing with your employee. You have to be able to say, what's the emotional journey that causes them to show up and do their best work? My heartfelt belief is that people will stick and stay with your organization so long as they still believe they can do the best work they've ever done working for you. Mm-hmm. The minute they feel like their best work is behind them, then they're going to start looking elsewhere. And that's why people outgrow organizations, right? There's not a path for them. If they, if they see themselves as a leader and there's no leadership path, they're going to leave, even if you're a great company. Oh, I hate that because it's so much work and it's so true. And it's something that we really forget to prioritize. Well, well, think about this though. If, and it may be in certain size organizations, I think there's a, our culture sort of prioritizes growth over all costs. And I, that's not me. I think there is a point where a business creates happiness for its employees, a good return that we can contribute to the community. And, you know, to me, I'm fine that that that's the size of business. And that might be a $120 million business. It might be a $5 million business. It might be a million dollar business. It's it's different. If your organization is such that it operates great in this range, and there's not going to be an abundance of leadership roles, that's just part of your story. As you bring people in, we're a great path to get you ready to operate in this larger company. And we're going to help you do that. And we're, we're going to help you. Does that make sense? So I'm coming alongside them. And then rather than this be a negative, that limitation of being a smaller company is actually a benefit to them. Because if mm-hmm. they were to start in a large organization, they may not get that individual attention and coaching and training that they're going to get with your organization. They may not get to see as much of the breadth of the organization and where the other hats that you have to do on a small organization. Yeah, I definitely believe that. I mean, my daughter just left a job because it was, they said X number of years before you could get promoted, but yet she had done pretty much all she could do in that position. So she had to leave the company to be able to do more, which just seems crazy. Whereas we, uh, mom and pop businesses, that's, I really always sold that in the interview about um especially like if they had come from a franchise from fast food you know i talked about we absolutely have our systems and processes but we also have a lot of flexibility and you know that we were ever changing to what our staff and our clients needed so i I always suggested what i call a dead by date and now that I'm saying that out loud, it sort of sounds horrific. But when I'm offering someone the job, yeah, I, I always tell them, look, uh, I wouldn't hire you if I didn't love you. Like, I, I believe you can do the job. I think you'll make an amazing part of the team. Right? I'm going to fluff them up because I wouldn't yeah. hire you. However, because of that, I also have what I call a drop dead date, which means these are the criteria. X number of sales, certain you know performance metrics. And if we're a day late, a dollar short, doesn't matter. We're done. 
And just being really clear about that front, because the longer I'm in with somebody, the more I'm going to like them. And then I'm going to excuse poor performance. And I'm actually robbing from my business if I let somebody come in and operate at 70% rather than 100%. I'm right. holding a seat for them. I'm develop, I'm giving resources and time and attention. So I just set the stage up front. I'm going to say, on that day, I'm still going to love you, but I'm just going to say goodbye. Can we agree that that's sort of the standard? Yeah. <laughs> and they're themselves accountable then. And I have conversations all the way through of, hey, I don't want to say goodbye to you, but on the number of calls you're making and the skill level, level that you're at today, I'm guessing you're not going to make it. Can we I talk about how to change that around? It is. That's incredibly it's like, powerful. It's like Dalkey's 13-week check-in, Martha. Like he... You know, every week they're reporting on these metrics. He's like, and at the end of those 13 weeks, we're going to know. You're going to know. I'm going to know. You're going to have my best work. And like, that's it. So, yeah, that's I really love that. And as you were talking about that, um, well, I was I was looking. Go ahead. John. Since it's Fight Club, you know, you could go back to the Sandler uh, methodology and they say, if you're going to fight, fight up front. Yep. Right. Like get it out on the table. And, you know, and, and that's sort of what hiring an employee is. What are the things that we're going to fight about? Well, let's have that. One of them is, you know, we make bad hiring decisions and people go to work for companies that they don't like working for. So let's talk about how we're going to deal with this. This is how I'm going to judge non-performance. Yeah, we we actually had a flow sheet on the wall that was kind of step by step where you're at in the process like if you're not meeting the standards and i would walk them over to that flow sheet and say all right so right now you're right here you know blah 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 and uh that i didn't probably do it for the same reason that you're talking about but for me I never, ever wanted someone to not know where they're at and how close to termination they're at. So yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I see business owners confuse standards with, with uh, not having a heart. Yeah. And in my book, I say a, a, a true leader has to be comfortable sitting in judgment. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean they like sitting in judgment. Like I'm not looking for an opportunity to judge somebody. I just have to be comfortable enough to sit in judgment and to do that of a place from a place of love and caring about that person. Right. Right. And it actually feels more loving and caring if I explain up front why we have that. Absolutely. So yeah. How does somebody operating at 70% change the business model financially going forward to where I can't give raises to my employees and I can't enable them to buy their homes and I can't, and I, I love my company and the family that I create around that more than any in, individual in that. Mm -hmm. And the same thing for them. If, why wouldn't they want to be in an environment where they're in the top 1%? Right, right. And, you know, uh, the whole gentleness, it's, it's hard on them when they're constantly not meeting our expectations and their expectations you know that's just it's a it's a bad place to live in and so if it's not a good fit then there like you say there are places that are a better fit for that person and it we're actually doing them a favor but anyway. yeah, I, mean, if you, I think if you think back to the people that have left your organization how often have they been clear that it's their fault like i think human nature is always 
to point externally. Mm -hmm. That there was some problem, the reason it didn't fit. And so the challenge when you bring somebody that's not a fit into your organization is they will blame you and your company. And some part of that will rub off on your other employees. Mm -hmm. So by getting that hiring fit right at the beginning, you're reducing that drag in your organization. Right. Yeah. I love it. We could go on forever. Well, thanks for letting me come in and pinch hit. Thank you. I enjoyed my time with you. So let's, I'll pass it back to Tay, but Tay, we want to, to ask Jonathan how they could be part of using this prediction and well, it's no longer a project anymore. It's a done deal, but uh, well, we're still recruiting for lawn care and for window cleaning, exterior cleaning, right? Yeah, we're, that's the next model that we're doing amongst others, but we're gonna develop the model specifically for, for that. And I guess I can spread the news on Fight Club is our, our platform, our enterprise platform is Perception Predict. And so if you're in the home cleaning industry, you could call and we'll give you access to that today. However, we realize that for the SMB, it's really the entirety of the hiring platform. Everything from uh, posting the job advertisement through to automations around texting and, and scheduling the appointment and follow up, all of that's very important. And if we can insert our prediction model in that, it'll have more value. So with that in mind, uh, we acquired HireWho last month. And so about 30 days or so from completely integrating some new automations and all of these fingerprints right in the HireWho platform. So that's an exciting development. And really when I think to save a business owner all of the time and frustration that goes into hiring, this is gonna, this is gonna be crucial. And also you've heard the phrase, always be hiring. Always be. always be hiring. The truth is, if you're a busy uh, business owner, you're not always hiring. When you get your team, you sort of slow things down. But if you can create automations at the front end that will only alert you when you have somebody that can be better than any of the people you have hired today, and then it alerts you to that, you'd be happy to leave your you know fishing line in the water and always be hiring because you're only going to have to bother with taking your time and attention and looking at the best of the best. Yeah. And that's what we're enabling in the hiring platform. You can keep your line in looking for technicians. And we say, Megan, we found one. It's going to be better than anyone on your team today. Interview them. And if you've ever wanted to know about my recruiting system, I think it is hire who I feel like it is like, you know, a brainchild of a bunch of really smart people. And now we're going to add in this perception predict assessment into that process. Um, I am so freaking excited. Is, yeah. The level of AI that we're going to bring in to attract with that language and the job listing and the assessments and the interview questions <coughs> program, it's really, really, really exciting. Stuff. Yeah. So imagine a world 30 days from now where somebody applies and your system automatically texts with them. It feels real. It feels human. When you, when you look at your pool of candidates, we've already suggested their match for uh, their attributes. So where will they be on a scale of one to 100? What will their uh, job history, how does that match up to your ideal mm -hmm. profile? And, 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 and scores and stack ranks that all for you ahead of time so that you're only uh, spending time with candidates who have a high probability of being successful. So the first time you may ever actually interact with a candidate is when they're sitting in front of you. And you can be confident that they they're well equipped to do the job. 
Now you can decide if you like them. Yeah. Great. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that um, as far as kind of going over that side of it, is there anything else you want to kind of touch on before we kind of jump into homework, Jonathan? Or did that? Oh, no, let's do homework. I, I've said. Okay. <laughs> well, how do how do they do that, Jonathan? Do they email you? What do they do? How do they if they're interested in a model that already exists or in potentially building out a model? How do they reach out? Yeah, they can email me, John J O N at perceptionpredict.ai. Uh, that's one way. Or if it's easier to remember, John J O N at thesalesboss.com. Either one of those gets me. Awesome. Nice. I may have already booked a meeting. I'm just saying. I may have already. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Great. Just saying. Awesome. Well, at this point, we are going to go ahead and jump into homework. So with homework, just really super quick rundown. I know everyone has a kind of hard stops here. So please only choose one. That's the only thing that we do ask of you when it does come to homework. This is what makes our podcast different. We do want to hold you accountable. So we are about to give you four to five pieces of homework. Please make sure only choose one. If you do need help, we do have help in our um, accountability group or private group on Facebook. You can absolutely feel free to join that and ask questions there. Um, marketing homework is actually going to kind of be marketing more towards your employees. So I love what Jonathan said in the aspect of just being authentic. I think that's something that we all tend to throw the question out on Facebook and groups. Hey, what is that? What are you using for your hiring ad? How are you hiring people? You know, how are you attracting people to your company? And that can be great, but making sure that that's authentic to who you are and who the company is and who the business is, is almost more important than just getting the tips from your friends and coworkers and individual fellow business owners out there. So focus on authenticity this week if you are in the hiring process and that's kind of where we're starting to market towards. I wanna to make sure that we are marketing ourselves authentically and really showing them who we are as a brand. Love it. Um, I'm texting with Amanda trying to see if she has sales homework. <laughs> like, had to, um, she had to bounce. She had a hard stop. Um, is it me or Joe? No, it's me next, right? Yeah. yeah. It's so weird because we're switching the, or I'm like, what happens next? Okay. So for me, I, I've been down this path for about seven months now and I still don't have all the answers, but I'm going to challenge you and maybe I'm going to do my own homework this week. Reminder, only doing one. I know they're all distracting signing objects, but we just want you to move the needle forward. What does good look like in your top three positions of your company? So what what is a good average ticket for a technician to be producing? Or what is a good revenue per hour for a technician to be producing? Or what is a good conversion rate for a CSR to be selling on? I want us to think about that. Like what 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 is average? What is acceptable? What is good? I think mm -hmm. as owners, we have this... This happens to me every day, and I hate that part about being a leader of so many different organizations is people tell me, like, Megan, that was just in your head. You didn't actually say that out loud. I'm like, damn it. I wish I could say that out loud. Um, so what does good look like? And, Jonathan, you're, you're chomping. Tell me what I, I am. Just substitute the word good for okay. star. Okay. What does great look like? Star. Like star. the best. What's the best, best you've ever seen? Yeah. Consistently. Because that's what you should be aiming for. The only reason you don't is you don't think there's enough star performers out there, and there are. So if you feel like 80% conversion rate is 
is what you should be producing, then you should not be accepting a 35 or a 40 or a 45% conversion rate, right? Mm -hmm. If you think that you should be producing at a $155 per hour, then you should not be accepting $95 per hour. Um, I feel like we accept it, I think, because Jonathan said we, we don't know differently, but also because um, we haven't gotten clear in our heads. So your homework this week, figure out what are those key metrics and then let's do it Jonathan's way. What does great look like? Yeah, the, most most business owners set that standard because it's the best they've ever seen. Mm. I had a company client that I was working for, their their quota, and I know we're on homework, so I'll hurry, that their quota for their rep was $300,000 a year. And people would get near it, you know, 280, they'd slow down, they might go to 310. I had worked in a very similar industry, so I knew every one of their salespeople should be producing $1.4 million. They absolutely didn't believe it. The way they built that $300,000 model was it's the best anybody had ever seen mm -hmm. in their company. Uh, and within a year, I had 100% of their salespeople over that $1.2 million mark. And how many salespeople? The four-minute mile. 10. 10, 10, 10 okay. salespeople. So that's a massive difference in income. That's wow. like, you know, that's what? Yeah. So that's a million dollars in sales. And you should you should ask yourself what's the best you've ever seen, but also in your industry, mm -hmm. what is star performance? Like, how did you get to your version of what great is? Right. And things are only good or bad by comparison. So most of the time, we compare great to a little better than we've experienced ourselves. Mm -hmm. So true. Okay. And your systems. Are you done, Megs? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And your systems homework is to now that you have found that awesome salesperson or that awesome CSR or that awesome individual, I want you to have a, a plan for them for their professional development. So I'm going to have you check out both power selling pros and what you mentioned, Jonathan today, Sandler training. So I'm going to have both those links in the, in the group uh, on Facebook. So check those out. And I, to keep myself on target, I already wrote that out. If you have somebody who's consistently meeting rock star status, then what are you going to do to keep them and challenge them? So like, because that really resonated with me, Jonathan, like if they're consistently meeting rock star status, then what are we going to do so that they can continue to do their best work mm -hmm. and grow with you? All right, Jonathan. There's a great re psychology report out that's called Star Performance in the 21st Century. You could Google it and get the report. Star Performance in the 21st Century. It actually studied how organizations throw out the numbers for their star performance because they treat it as an anomaly. So they figured out their average and they're like, well, we got to throw Joe out because Joe's a superstar. Nobody's like Joe. And how your Joes actually don't want to work there anymore because they want to be in environments surrounded by star performers where they can be challenged. It's like you think if you play tennis or any sport and you're, you're sort of the best person showing up every week, you lose interest in going there because you want to be challenged. So my homework would be to list all of your employees for a certain role. And I just put a circle around what you would consider the mid performers, like people that you're not unhappy with, you don't want to get rid of, but you still consider than middle performers, not in your star bunch. It's actually that middle performance that you really should be thinking about. What would it transform my business if I was willing to have those all become star performers? Because we're I'm, naturally turn out the bottom people. We know who they are. 
Wow. I'm actually doing a mock-up for QDS that's very much along those lines. So you and I are getting it together and I want to show it to you. Yeah, excellent. Look forward to it. Awesome. We always finish our show, Jonathan, with a quote. And I found this one that I really liked from Herb Kelleher or Herb Kelleher. Yes. If you don't hire for skills, he says you hire for attitude because you can always train skill. So I love your resources, this book, and I love that we're hiring for attitude and the perception predict can really help us figure out that perfect person. So thank you so much for joining us. This was thank awesome. you, Jonathan. Awesome. Thank you. Bonus in my week to spend time with you later. <laughs> love it. Everybody go fight David. us. Next go fight. at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. Sounds good. Bye guys. See ya. Club for Business. Join our Facebook group where we have weekly homework, accountabilities, and an awesome community to help you fight for your business. Facebook.com slash Fight Club for, as in the number four, business. Fight Club for Business.